where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome back to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. It's the penultimate episode of season seven. <laughs> Are you going to put some echo on that? Uh, laugh all you want, John. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's an exciting time. I, I, there's so many references already in your first line. <laughs> you did like a Mrs. Doubtfire hello and then a strictly seven. <laughs> put, putting out the big guns for the penultimate episode. It aired on the 27th of April, 1989, episode 21 of season 7. It is directed by James Burroughs, written by David Lloyd, and an exciting little announcement. It's coming up to the 40th anniversary of the Cheers premiere date. We've got things on the horizon for you, so uh, check that out. That's right, stay tuned. We've got some exciting stuff coming up, so keep an eye out. But until then... Let's chat about, I was about to say, let's chat about sisterly love. <laughs> I'm on about the episode, James. <laughs> yeah, it just sounded like, I don't know, Mary Clarence or, or some some hippie. Let's, let's, chat about, let's chat about sisterly love, all right? You know, just... <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into the main episode, James, should we kick off with the cold open? Yes. Yes. Becca has a new scheme, which is a pre-designated driver program. Hmm. On the face of it, it sounds like an all right idea. Yeah, and uh, you know it's good. It's definitely good that Cheers is uh, advocating this this type of thing. And you know James Bowes and Charles Wallace have gone on record saying that because prior to Cheers, the reputational reception of a bar was a place where people went to drown their sorrows, a place where people uh, went for nights of, of debauchery or despair. And, uh, you know, they went, no, they can be a good places, but they did want to promote responsibility in the means of, you know, designated driver programs, for example. The only backfire is, she says, Cheers is now the bar that cares. Therefore, if you are not in a condition to drive yourself home, we will appoint and designate a driver free of charge. Then tries to get someone who's tipsy to come forward. A slightly tipsy man comes forward. Rebecca says, I'll drive you home. Where are you going? And he says, Philadelphia. Any particular address? And he goes... I'll know when I see it. So she's got to uh, roam the streets of Philadelphia. I was going to do Bruce Springsteen, but that song's just sad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Add that one to the playlist, no? (laughs) No, it's it's a bit sad. You know, it was written for the film Philadelphia. You know, so uh, not the most uplifting, is it? (laughs) Uh, Off she goes on a road trip with this slightly drunk man. (laughs) To find a door that he'll hopefully recognise. Yeah. Just drive to every house in Philadelphia. You'll find it. So I'd say it's a nice idea. In practice, not very practical, especially in the 80s, I'd say. Especially in the 80s? Yeah, like there's no sat-nav. Yeah. There's no cellular phones. Yeah, no cellular phones, no social media. No, no, like, if I was really drunk and needed my address, I could find it on my phone, I'm sure. Or you could phone someone or tell someone yeah. you are and they could do it. Or we could just get an Uber. Yeah, they wouldn't break you off with that if you were that drunk. Which is your house? The one with the blue door. Just, just keep going. Nah, it's fine. Uber's got my home address registered as home. <laughs> You'll be fine then, yeah. And that's the cold open. We just see Rebecca hesitantly go and take this man to Philadelphia. Do you know how long it would take to get from Boston to Philadelphia? No, but I'm sure you would have done the maths for me, James. 
It's 308 miles, approximately. And how long is that in a drive? Oh, it could take anywhere from five and a half to six and a half hours. It's uh, longer if you don't know which house you're going to. And it's even longer because you have to get back as well. So you're looking at at least 11 hours. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Luckily for us, there is a bit of a time jump from that cold open to the main episode because Rebecca is there by the time we see the main episode. Well, how do we kick off this episode, James? I think we start with Frasier walking in, I think. And there's a bit of back and forth. And Lilith's mother is in town. Mm-hmm. So Frasier has been making uh, mother-in-law jokes. <laughs> and he's kind of, a, I think he, the vibe I'm getting is he's escaped to the bar for a bit of solace for a little bit. Yes, yes. You know, he's been making jokes such as, like, she's had so many facelifts when she wants to smile, she has to cross her legs. Uh, <laughs> things like this. The one I've heard is one uh, my, my granddad told me, which is, um, <laughs> what is the definition of ambivalence? It's uh, when your mother-in-law drives your new Mercedes off the cliff, <laughs> which is a bit dark, but, but but amusing. Well, after that, we quickly move on to Sam and Woody. Uh, and Sam asks Woody what's new. Sam says, uh, Woody says, nothing much. And that it's kind of an average day at the bar, I'd say. Yes, yes. But it does relate to a car, doesn't it? Mm, it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's relevant. Well, you said, oh, you know, Sam, not much. There's someone outside, you know, writing a ticket for your car. It's about to be turned. I don't know, Sam. And Sam's like, what? <laughs> uh, and Ali runs. And whilst he's running, someone walks into the bar. Not just someone. Marsha Cross. Marsha Cross. Yeah. Uh, she walks in. She catches everyone's eye, as she does. As someone called Susan. Not Marsha Cross as <laughs> herself. Yeah, she walks into the bar and takes a seat, and everyone... Sort of t- does a bit of a double take. Sam spots her, and Cliff says, "How does Sam always spot them?" Norm replies, "Because he doesn't spend all his time peeling dead skin off his elbows." Which is what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Bit grim on the bar top. Mm. Next to the peanuts and the and the pretzels and slices of lime. Sam very quickly tries to make a move on this woman. He does, and there's some hesitant, some pushback. You know. She very quickly says that she's looking for. Becky Howe. Which implies that they're familiar. We know that she knows Rebecca. Uh, she's looking to talk to her. And Sam's going to try and find out why. Joan Severance was originally cast to be this Susan, but had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Joan Severance was a, was a model. Uh, so it gives you an idea of, of the type of character Susan is. And uh, well, we find out a little bit more because Woody recognises her. Yeah. From uh, some films he's watched. Yeah. B-movie horror films by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that old classic Night of the Mutants. <laughs> Where she has a head growing out of her neck, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the old <laughs> neck head. Um, what I do like, though, is Sam uses this tiny bit of information, goes back over to her and goes, I knew you were the actress. I, I've seen you in that film with the two heads. Yes. So, what brings you to Boston? I'm shooting a bank commercial. Oh, I was right. You are Susan Howe, the actress. I loved you in that two-headed movie. Oh, which one? I did two of them. Was it the one where the head was coming out of my neck? Uh, yeah, that's the one. Oh, thank goodness, because the other one I am not proud of. (laughs) I think there's something appealing about cheap horror films, and I mean mean cheap purely in terms of budget. Mm. I don't mean cheap in terms of, you know, scandalous, offensive, whatever. But, you know, I I know I know a couple of guys who do make B 
B-list horror films as as a career, and they've done they've done the uh, the film festival circuit, and their films are on streaming services. So you know, I'm like, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, and there's something endearing about them because it's the ability to make something potentially shocking, potentially mm-hmm. disgusting, you know, on the scale of a feature film with very little money, and it's probably one of the cheapest genres to make. I think it's also that idea of, uh, that's one side of it, but you can also see that campy, overtly so, pulp, sci-fi, cheap for the sake of in- embracing it, if that makes sense. Your, your cardboard robots and your sets where the whole backdrop is sort of wobbling in the wind. It's, it's the reason that you and I still like the original series of Star Trek. Yeah, I think there's, there's so much stuff which pays homage to that in such a loving way as well where those low-budget B-movies can sometimes be loved by people for those imperfections as well. Long-running sci-fi show in the Doctor Who, you've seen movies they made in the 60s of that, which were very cheap. You still like them? But yeah, so Sam brings up her acting career. She, she seems to like it when people do. She seems quite proud of it and, in, and likes the attention of it. Uh, but we quickly find out that she's looking for Rebecca, or Becky, because she is in fact her sister. Susan, how? <laughs> <laughs> Sam, oh, his eyes, <laughs> his eyes light up with the power of a thousand suns. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, we we know Sam to be sleazy, uh, and this gets him at his, I'd say, at his sleaziest. Maybe he loves the idea of sisters. Just ooh, he's quite he's a sleazy man. That one. I have to say, though, the rest of the bar seem to be very supportive of his pursuit in this, which I find their overtly supportive jeering, I find weird. I don't know, James. They try to live vicariously through Sam, and it is it is a little weird, but, but that's, that's what they always do. They always want to live vicariously through him. But Sam hatches this plan that if he's if he could be the person that brings these two sisters which have fallen out back together, uh, they'll want to thank him. I think that's his logic. Yeah, thank is thank is the wrong word. He wants to be he wants them to be the bread for a Sammy sandwich, I think is is the metaphor he uses. Well, he doesn't use that metaphor. You you've used that metaphor. I was, I think I heard it somewhere. <laughs> I don't think he said a Sammy sandwich. He did. I'm I'm pretty sure I did. I'll find the time code because I didn't. I didn't make it up. <laughs> but you're not far off, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, at seven minutes twenty. Oh, he does say a triple decker sandwich. I I filled in the gaps, is what I did. <laughs> yeah, you weren't wrong, James. I apologise. I tried to put that on you. It was it was the program. It was it was all all his sleaze, John. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't need extra sleaze. It's not it's not like a, a a spicy Bloody Mary, which which has you know five spices, and they go, "Oh, do you want to add more Tabasco?" Just talking from personal experience, there. I am talking from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was like, "Oh, maybe, maybe," and then I drank it and went, "No, I'm fine." <laughs> I liked it, but oh, the last the last remnants, it was. <laughs> Is you like a you were like a man in the desert? <laughs> <Just going>, ah! <laughs> Would you like more Tabasco in there? No, thank you. <laughs> Grabbing the ice and rubbing it on my gums. <laughs> <laughs> but 
anyhow, Sam thinks that if he can bring them together, they'll want to, they'll they'll embrace him, uh, in it, thankfully. And in doing this, he decides that he'll invite them both out for a meal, I think at Malville's. I think it was at Malville's. It could have been another restaurant. And that's kind of what happens. He says to the, the rest of the gang that he'll fill them in in updates in the morning in his usual sleazy way. Mm-hmm. And the next we see is the meal in question. The meal in question is up at Melville's, and it's quite a tense meal. Rebecca and Susan do not like each other. No, that's very clear. And what does happen is a bit of their history comes out, uh, and Rebecca accuses her sister of always stealing men from her. Yes. All of Rebecca's high school boyfriends, or just boys that she liked, Susan went, that's a nice boy that you've got your eyes on there. Would be a shame if someone stole them. And after this, uh, Rebecca leaves them both in the booth at Malville's. And after hearing this, Sam gets a bit of an idea, a bit of a sleazy idea. I don't think it was fair for Rebecca to say that you tried to steal every guy she ever got interested in. But I'm warning you right now, Missy, you better not try that with me. (laughs) Oh, Rebecca's interested in you? You kidding me? She's got a big old crush on (laughs) Well, I'm glad to see she hasn't lost her good taste. Well, that's that's very sweet of you to say that. More wine? (laughs) This is nice. This is very nice. Uh, You better watch yourself, young Missy. Yeah, Sam's up to some uh, no-good tricks, I'd say. The erotic misadventures of Sam Malone continues. Uh, yeah, we haven't said that for a while. <laughs> and this episode, sisterly love. Will, <laughs> will Rebecca and Susan reunite, or will Sam get up for his wily ways? Tune in now. <laughs> but off the back of Sam's sleaziness, he arranges a date with Susan. Yes. He's trying to play both sides. That's the phrase. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and he goes back down to Rebecca and he goes, oh, can't believe what Susan's done, Rebecca. She only gone and asked me out on a date. <sighs> yeah, and Rebecca replies to this. You know what? You've always wanted a date with me. Tonight's your night. You cancel your date with my sister and we'll go out. Sam's playing. He knows what he's doing. This is exactly the response he wanted. And he feels like everything's lining up exactly how he wanted it. It's, it's an elaborate game of tic-tac-toe. No, it's not an elaborate game of chess. There's not as many pieces, and it's not as complicated. But <laughs> he is playing them. Meanwhile, Susan's in the bar, and Fraser has popped back in, and he's seen Susan, and he immediately recognises her from her film career in B-list movies. I'd say he's probably her biggest fan in the bar. Yes, Fraser sp- spoke of the B-list movies because of their... um psychological significance, well, not B-list movies, but horror movies specifically, because of their psychological significance, Mm. and spoke to the belief that with horror movies, comfort can be found in watching a dangerous situation, knowing that we are not privy to it. Mm. Yeah? Knowing that we're safe. But also, he does get her reading out lines from it as well, and calls her a masterful actor. Yep, yep. And uh, I don't know how Lilith feels about the films. I, I remember him saying that they watched it together, but... Oh, that, I mean, that doesn't mean she likes them. <laughs> that is true. Speaking of uh, acting and being in things, let's talk about the cast. I've had better segues, but, you know, that will do. B.B. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Newith as Dr. Lilith Sternen. Marsha Cross as Susan Howe. 
She also appeared in One Life to Live, It's Gary Shandling's show, Who's the Boss, Quantum Leap, Knott's Landing, Murder, She Wrote, Melrose Place, Seinfeld, Boy Meets World, Ali McBeal, Desperate Housewives, Quantico, and many more. I think I think Marcy Cross did a really good role in this, a really good job in the role. Good on you, Marcia. Playing a sister to Kirsty Alley, I think they had good chemistry on screen. I thought they were believable. But interestingly, uh, Marcia Cross has also previously appeared in two titles that fall under the horror genre prior to this role in Cheers. Do you know what they are? No. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I was going to save it to trivia, but, you know, here we go. Uh, Stephen King's Golden Tales from 1985 and Tales from the Dark Side, Strange Love from 1986. Hmm. Uh, We had Richmond Harrison as Phil. He also appeared in Beverly Hills Cop 2, who's the boss, Dynasty, Moonlighting, My Two Dads, and many more. Philip Pillman and Al Rosen are uncredited as Phil and Al. And what a lovely cast for this penultimate episode, James. Yeah. So where are we up to? We're up to Sam arranging dates with both of them. Mm. And off the back of his conversation with Rebecca, he's cancelled or postponed, I should say, his date with Susan to later in the evening. And he's going to try and date them both in one night. That's a dangerous game, lad. It's a sleazy game. It's a sleazy game. It's as Chris Isaac would say. It's a wicked game. What he doesn't expect is Susan can't can't resist him and arrives at the bar early, uh, despite him pushing the date back, uh, and greets him there in an empty bar and says she wants to be alone with him. I mean, that's like a flame to a moth for old Sam. Yeah. She, Sam being the moth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she knows what she's doing, but Sam, well, Sam doesn't realise, and he goes into the office to make a call so he can call Rebecca and try and postpone his date with her. Uh, but but Susan follows him in and hangs up the phone. <gasps> How dare you. But then, then she makes the moves, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam gets very flustered. He does. He gets very flustered and she plants one on him. And him, on him. She kisses him. <laughs> well, mid-kiss, Rebecca comes through the office door and she's not happy. She screams, Sam, no! Susan, no, stop. <laughs> and then Susan that was leaves. very good. Do you know, as good as that was, James, I think we should play the clip. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm ready for a date. Susan! Uh, Rebecca, I-, I can explain this. Wait, just, ow, my finger's caught in your bra. <laughs> you don't owe me an explanation. It's Susan. It's always been Susan. My entire life, it has been Susan. I'm glad you saw us. You deserve to be hurt. No, oh, no, no sister. I don't hurt anymore. I am way beyond hurt. Don't be silly now, girls. Please, please. And now it is Susan Howe's turn to hurt. But I tell you what, James, the scene that does follow, I would say, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the finale because... The scene that follows, I think, could have been a finale because there's guns, there's drama, and there's death. Play the clip. <laughs> hey, that's a gun. <laughs> it ain't licorice. No, come on. Let, let's talk about this. No. Now, this is silly. This. No, please. I'm too young to die. Rebecca. Holy <laughs> cow! That was for Dan Buttinger. And this is for Jeff Carnahan. And Mike Dietz. And 
I'm Sam Malone. Oh boy, oh boy. What, did you, what is it, Sam? Oh. What, because I killed my sister? Oh. Oh. I didn't mean to do that anyway. Oh well, it's done. Here. Oh. Imagine if they ended it with them walking out of the office, dragging a body, and they went <laughs> tune in, tune in, tune in four months' time for more cheers. And just cut to where everybody knows your name. A lovely happy ending. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, this was meant to be the the season ending cliffhanger, mm. but this was back when it was uh, June seventh. And what was going to happen was Sam proposed to Susan after a whirlwind romance. Writers rewrote the script finally get two out of character for Sam. And in addition, at the time, there were rumors that Kirstie Alley would be replaced as the show's female lead at the start of the next season. And the producers felt that if Sam was in a long-term relationship, that it would only fuel such rumors. So I think they did the smart move by not having a cliffhanger of, of Sam getting married to someone. What a rewrite. What a what rewrite. A re- what a rewrite. Instead of marrying her, she's dead. <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> shoots her. Several uh, times. Several times. Many, many times. Uh, <laughs> then covers her with a blanket and co- not even coerces Sam, just says, Sam, everybody does one bad thing in their life. Now help me get rid of this body. <laughs> Sam, Sam starts to carry the body out of the office and they he's breaking down he's crying and then the, the whole gang jump out like it's a surprise party and then it turns out Susan isn't dead and then Sam's just sort of scarred for life yep. and I think that's the end of the episode <laughs> yeah they're like He's like, hey, that's not funny. You shouldn't shouldn't do that. Lilith, you're a psychiatrist. Told them about how damaging this could be. And she goes, nah, son, it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you got played, son. You got played. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd say maybe Sam will learn his lesson, but I've said that before and it hasn't happened, so eh, I don't think he will have. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Rebecca, I think she just carries a gun with her. <laughs> possible. She when she went down to Mexico, you know, she she had a gun. She has a gun here. We can only assume then, James. But that's the end of the episode. And I thought it was an enjoyable one. I thought there was a nice twist at the end. One of one of Cheers' more dramatic ones. Whenever there's a gun in Cheers, you know it's a dramatic episode. Is that the door, James? Because I, I hear the trivia bell. Oh, trivia bell. Is it a sister from afar? No, just trivia. <laughs> <laughs> As usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. And with that, I'll ask my first question, James. We talked about that moment where Rebecca pulled the gun out. When Sam says, is that a gun? What does she reply? It's not licorice. Well, it ain't licorice. licorice. Well, it ain't licorice. (laughs) Which I think might be one of my favorite lines from this episode. It's, It's actually a reference to a film. Is it? Uh, uh, yes, it's a reference to Adam's Rib, which was from 1949, where a similar exchange was given, starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Well, I didn't know the reference, but I could tell it was some kind of iconic line, because it stuck out to me. The, the tagline for the film is, it's the hilarious answer to who wears the pants. <laughs> 
speaking of gun, how many times does Rebecca pull the trigger? I want to say six. Six, which means she fired every bullet. Yeah, I was going to say a full barrel. Got to put the effort in. Don't <laughs> <you>? <laughs> I almost said seven, so, and that would have been a foolish answer. Do I fire seven shots or only six? <laughs> got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, Sue? <laughs> in the moment when the gun is pulled on Susan, what does she say, James? No! <laughs> She says, <laughs> she says, no, stop, I'm too young to die, and screams. Yeah. The reason why I asked this, James, is this is the exact same line Fraser asked her to say earlier, which was from the movie Night of the Mutants. Which implies that everyone's in on it. Which, yeah, which it also implies that if you, t- if you took note, you recognised that scene, you would have told she was still acting in the final scene. A little Easter egg. A little Easter egg. It's like, well, that's a coinkydink. <laughs> Another one about Susan. In a previous episode, Rebecca stated that Susan had won a contest. Which contest? Was it a beauty pageant? Yes. I can't remember which, though. Uh, It's Miss San Diego. What drink does Rebecca's sister order when she enters the bar? This is a good question. I think she orders a gin. A Perrier with lime. Of course, yeah. The bubbly water people. <laughs> it's a comedy award as well, isn't it? The Perrier. Perrier. Yeah, Perrier award, yeah, yeah. Mm. The lime is, lime is not a comedy award. <laughs> it could be. You could make it. What are the names of Rebecca's exes that Susan stole? There are seven men. I'm trying to think now. I know she ends by saying, and Sam Malone. Oh, that's not one of them. There are eight then. Uh, there was definitely a Mike. Mm-hmm. But that's all I can remember. She says a few names when she uh, shoots the gun. Yeah, she repeats them. Dan Budinger, Mike Dietz, Jeff Carnahan, Ron Allen, Steve Melman, Terry Toban, and Clay Fisher. That's the last call at the bar, James. And I tell you what, an interesting episode. Did you say this was potentially a final then before it got re and recast? Uh, before it was rewritten, yes. Um, re- <laughs> it was a f- it was a finale until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the intention was to create a cliffhanger, much in the same way that uh, Kate Mulgrew was introduced as a romantic foil. Well, I think it was an interesting episode. I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, definitely. Uh, it was. I'm trying to think what it leaned into in the in, in terms of Cheers episodes. I'd say it leaned into. Uh, the one with Marky Post. Mm. And the one uh, where, where Sam shoots his ass. Because there was a gun in it. <laughs> the one with, yeah, the one where Sam, Sam shoots himself. Yep. <laughs> our least favourite episode. <laughs> uh, uh, most of our episodes tend to be half an hour. That one was nine minutes. Uh, <laughs> nine minutes worth of discussion. The Derek McGrath episodes, well, I, I felt it was similar. Mainly yeah. just because the gun again. Yeah. yeah. Gunplay. <laughs> well, I tell you what, James. Regardless, what what are we drinking? Oh, Perrier with lime. I think. Yeah, get a nice, get a nice citric comedic drink. <laughs> Sounds good to me. We won't be having any shots though. No, we'll save that until next week. I think with the finale. It was it was a pun, James, because the gun. Oh. <sighs> well, try it again, and I'll. I'll, I'll... No, no, <laughs> we've done it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, James. We'll take our Perrier with lime. We'll do a nice toast to. Uh, 
sisterly love to Rebecca and Susan reunited over their mutual hatred of Sam Malone. Don't hate the player, hate the game. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. (laughs) 